Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Friends, today, now that we've put a couple of things in the new year behind us, we've got a couple of weeks here, and I'd like to start a new sermon series today and for the four weeks following, looking at liturgy. And you're like, that seems like something we would just assume, and in some ways it is, and that's part of the reason why I want to talk about it. Also, I want to keep building. Over the last like year to two years, we've spent a lot of time on prayer. And so how do we take these ideas about prayer and bring them into a corporate context? And I'm excited to do that over the next couple of weeks. And I pray that what we offer is edifying to you. But here's where I want to start with this sermon series. The most fundamental principle of it all when we're talking about liturgy has nothing to do with the words that we say or what we do or what our motions are or how we think about worship. The most important thing when we talk about liturgy is that it is God's will that we learn to love God more. Hear that again. It is God's will that we would learn to love God more. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. In the same way, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God gives similar instructions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The scriptures are constantly asking us not just to show up and do our duty, but to fall in love with God. And because we are a community of faith, we are oriented towards Jesus Christ, and we are under the auspices of what God is doing in the world. It is my desire and my prayer that every single thing we do as a church is an opportunity for deepening that love. Whether you are young or old, whether you're new here or you have been here forever, whether you are a brand new Christian or one who is well-trodden on the path of faith. God's desire is that we should grow in our relationship to Christ and to deepen that love. In other words, to put it another way, we are designed to worship. We are designed to express love one to another and to God. And good liturgy helps us to be our best selves. It helps us to love better. But we are designed to worship, of course. But worship can go in a lot of different directions. We shouldn't assume that just because we're designed to worship that we point it in the right direction. It's part of what it means to be human. There's all these beautiful things in us, and sometimes it goes really well, and sometimes it goes sideways. There are lots of things in our lives that are forming us, trying to tell us who we are and trying to tell us what we ought to be. Like religion, the entirety of our culture is awash in things like seasons and holy texts and songs and read and responses. Our culture is filled with liturgy. This came to me a couple of years ago. My sister-in-law, Jenny's sister, all right, left home and went to Oklahoma State University to do her undergrad. She's still there doing her PhD. But I remember when she was getting ready to go, and there was a lot of excitement about that. And Jenny and I, this was a new experience for us because we went to really tiny schools where it was like, just try to hold on and get through this. But like, Oklahoma State is like this whole other thing. It's this big, huge reality. I'm like, I wonder how her experience will be different than our experience. And I'll never forget that she called back and we're like, well, how did your first day go? We were, we were down there, you know, helped her get all her stuff down. We had the opportunity to go to Stillwater and all that. And we just wanted to know, what's, the, what's it like? 
And of course, the first thing they do is they let you into your room. We helped her get a room set up. You know, they, here's your class schedule, like trying to do some class stuff. But friends, I'm here to tell you the class thing was not what Oklahoma State University wanted to tell their students. You know what they did the first night their freshman classes on campus? They bring everybody into the football stadium. And they take a picture, and then they tell you how to cheer at the football games. You get the go poke sign, all right? You understand what the cheers are. Here's what you do when it's a first down. Here's what you do when it's a third down for the other team. They tell you exactly how you are supposed to show up at Boone Pickens Stadium to, to celebrate at a football game. It's liturgy. It's a cultural liturgy. Here's what you do and here's what you say. Consider the things that you love. I bet if you think long and hard enough, there is a liturgy to it. There is music that goes to it. There is read and response. I'll give you another one. My favorite hockey team in the world, the Red Wings. When they win a game, the first thing that happens is you'll hear this song starting to play, and it'll say, just a small town girl, and every Red Wings fan in the world knows exactly what you're supposed to do. Living in a lonely world. Don't stop believing that's what we do. Cultural liturgies shape what we love and what we desire. They give us identity and focus. And those are wonderful things. Nobody's saying go pokes or don't stop believing is bad. The issue is we don't think enough about them. Because in a consumer culture, we are given two responses for those liturgies. As consumers, we offer one of two responses. We say, I like that, or I don't like that. In either response, the subject is I. And when I become the subject, when I become the point of the liturgy, my commitment to whatever it is we're celebrating becomes flexible based on how I feel. So put it this way. And the Red Wings have not been good for a while, so I'm well practiced in this. That if the Red Wings start to lose, I stop watching. I'm just less interested. I don't enjoy watching my team get beat six to one. And for crying out loud, they lost four to three last night to the Blue Jackets. Like, what are you even doing here? But anyway, I get less interested. And when we apply this, I like it, I don't like it, to worship, when worship is a product to be consumed, we find ourselves seeking affirmation rather than formation. Let me say that again. When worship is a product to be consumed, where we evaluate it based on I like it or I don't like it, we find ourselves seeking affirmation rather than formation. This is the story of the golden calf. This is exactly what that story is. The golden calf, Moses goes up on the mountain. He's receiving the law from God. And one of the most important laws for Israel was you may not make any graven images, right? It's, one of the, it's right there on the top of the Ten Commandments. But they get antsy. And they're like, we don't like the idea that we cannot see our God. That's the only thing they did wrong. There is no evidence that they were leaving God. There is no evidence that they used the wrong words. There is no evidence that they had taken somebody else's gods. No, they were just saying, let us have an image because we like that better. That makes more sense to us. That's what everybody else is doing. And the person who makes it happen for them is their priest. 
And they violate the, prohibi- the prohibition of images. They didn't like, they, could, they couldn't see God, so they shaped a God to fit their desires rather than what God was calling them to. And they thought, well, God seems like a bull, so we're going to make this calf. Later we discover in the person of Jesus how silly that was because Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. But you see, friends, worship, our, our inclination to worship will always shape us. And when we judge worship by what we like versus what we don't like, this approach simply reinforces everything that we already are. So Israel became more aware of what they were as they shaped their own worship. They discovered that they were a little timid. They didn't like being the small country with all the big countries around them. They were doubting as to whether God actually was present with them. They were seeking a small God who could be controlled. And when worship just becomes a matter of a product to be consumed, the same thing will happen to us. Angry people will pray angry prayers. Apathetic people will pray apathetic prayers. Manipulative people will pray manipulative prayers, and so on and so on and so on it goes. And in this way, when the world looks at the Christian church and says, you know what, I see what you do, and you don't actually seem to love all that much more than anybody else. You don't cast a more compelling vision for the world. We should not then be surprised that the folks are saying, there are better liturgies for me to be a part of. But God's desire is that we would love God more. And love doesn't make me the subject of the sentence. Love makes the other the subject, makes the other the object, the center of what we do. And friends, when done rightly, there is nothing more formative, more beautiful, more formational to us than love. And that's what our cultural liturgies, for as much fun and as beautiful as they can be, that's what our cultural liturgies can't do. They cannot love us back. I love the Red Wings. The Red Wings do not love me. Oklahoma, my sister-in-law loves Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State does not love her. They will celebrate her. They will celebrate her sweatshirt, but friends, that sweatshirt is marketing, not love. Good liturgy, life-changing liturgy, starts with the story of Christ and his incredible love for us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. And of course, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave us Christmas. He sent his son that whosoever might believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Humans are built for worship because we are designed to run on love. And good liturgy, good worship also runs on love. Receiving that love and then returning that love to the center of our affections, who is God. We are called to love God more. And that is the kind of liturgy and worship that changes lives. Liturgy, friends, means the work of the people. You go all the way back to the Greek, and no one cares. But if you go all the way back, that's what it means. Liturgy, back in the day, was an idea of the things we do in service of a community or a service of others. It is public service. That's what liturgy is. 
Liturgy in the, in the ancient text was used to refer to the military, to social work, to governmental, to agricultural, even domestic work. The work that we do on service of something bigger than ourselves was called liturgy. And so when we take that idea of public service and apply it to faith, we see then that worship is not an event or a product that we consume. It is a service that we render. All of us, not just the principals on a stage. We are not the audience. God is. And good liturgy are the acts we do to return love to God. Not seeking God's love. God already does that. We accept that love and we return that love back to God. But the love of God is such that in the offering of this service, when we do our work, God is so abundant and so merciful and so generous that we receive back from God even more than we have given. Abundant and overflowing. As the, theo- as the contemporary theologian James K.A. Smith, who has done some beautiful work on liturgy, writes, he says, worship is not just inputting ideas into our intellect. It's not just, well, I believe this, this, and this, or trying to put new ideas in our head. It says, no, good worship forms our desires, our loves, and our longings that define who we are. And so it is the great and wonderful gift of liturgy that in coming to render our service to God, God in his wisdom gives us back something even more beautiful. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And when they do, our hearts explode in beauty and in wonder. When we worship well over time, we discover our deepest and truest selves. We learn to love ourselves and we learn to love others because we are loved by God. We learn how to be in the world and we learn how to see the world with the eyes of God. As the late Pope Benedict wrote, worship is essential for the right kind of human existence in the world. That's what good liturgy does. And there's a lot of ways to get there. The good news is, friends, and one of my favorite things to consider is that I remember growing up in in church, I went, most of you know, I went to a Southern Baptist church, which would not consider themselves liturgical. And I remember that in the bulletin, it was always be printed right at the top. It said, service of order subject to change by the Holy Spirit. And One of the interesting things was it never changed. Nobody had the guts to actually move the pieces around, which means one of two things. Either the Holy Spirit never showed up, which is not where you want to be, or the fact that we are all liturgical. All of us have a path and a way of worshiping. And I discovered we've always been liturgical, all of us. Even the smoke screens, even the smoke machines and the screens, even they're liturgical. You can kind of follow the path, but there is a path that we walk. If you permit me, I'd like to share just a couple of ways, the, the ways we set up liturgy uh, on a path that we can walk. And they're listed in your bulletin. You might not see these major themes week to week because it's already printed there. It's just always printed there. It's kind of in the middle of everything. But good liturgy for us does four basic things. First of all, it gathers us. Whether we worship personally or privately, we are intentional about the space we come to. But gathering means so much more than simply being in the same place as someone else. We say, we gather in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, or let it be so. We gather under a name. We gather for a purpose. We gather with an identity. And it is less that we have chosen to be here so much as that God has invited us here. We are here at the very request of God. And so liturgy then doesn't begin with a call to worship. Liturgy begins at the doors. 
We welcome one another. We call one another to worship. This is why it's read and response. It's not me or a lay reader who invites you to worship. Read and response says we invite each other. Hey, you, come on. We're going to worship. Let's go. We do confession. Confession is an element of gathering because in confession we examine our relationship to God and to one another. Are we in good standing? Are we a, are we a good community? Are there things that need to be sorted out so that we can gather well? And then we offer what we call a collect, a single shared prayer of desire and focus. Here's what we're about today. Things such as grant that your people illumined by your grace may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory. That's our prayer of the day. We gather and we gather in such a way that we are positioned to hear from God. And so we do that. The second part is we hear. Present to ourselves, present to one another, present to God, we listen. And listening, friends, and anybody who's been in a relationship where you don't feel heard knows what a joy and what a beautiful thing it is to, list, to be listened to. There's nothing better we can do for God than to listen carefully to what God has to say to us. How do we hear God speak most clearly? Most certainly, we hear God most clearly in the reading of the word. It is God who speaks when the scriptures are read. Lay readers, you are not just reading the text. You are speaking the words of God. This is the story of Jesus, of course, in the synagogue. Jesus goes into the synagogue. He finds the reading. He reads it and then says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, when God speaks, whatever God said happens. When God speaks, worlds are created. We see that in Genesis 1. When God speaks, sins are forgiven. When we said your sins are forgiven, God is not saying, well, I hope your sins are forgiven. God is saying, you are good to go. When God speaks, purpose is discovered. Reality is shaped. But for us, for it to have its best effect, we must hear. We must engage with our hearts emotionally. We have to have a desire to hear what God says. And with our minds, we're invited to think, to consider, to ask questions. Yes, sometimes even to doubt and to push back. But all of that is good listening. We listen well in order that God's creative and redeeming word might do its work in us. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. He says, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. Now, to be sure, hearing can mean many things. We prioritize the reading of the scripture, yes, and we prioritize a sermon. But the word of God does come to us in many ways. In the last two months, we've had the word preached by music, by children, by art, go on and on and on. The word is heard in many ways. What's, in, what's required is that we listen carefully hear with the ears of our heart. And our challenge is to listen the word of God down into our heart, our spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and ethical core. As Jesus tells us, seek that you might find. And then we respond. When that word comes in, it gladdens our hearts. We'll hear things that we love, and it buoys us. It raises us up. You all have said that to me many times. I just heard something that really made me feel good, that really lifted me up when I needed it. There are other times when we will hear things that will challenge us and kind of burden us and press us down a little bit. And if our expectation is just I like versus I don't like, we'll grumble and reject that which is challenging to us. But if we're focused on Christ and what Christ is doing in us, then everything is a sweetness. If Jesus is going to call me out on something, that is wonderful and beautiful because he sees me better than I see myself. So we respond. Love always responds. 
And Christ invites us to direct our focus outwards. And so this is where the idea of liturgy as public service takes on a different dimension. Jesus invites us, if we love God, we will respond to the world. And so we pray for others. We give of our gifts. We sing. Sometimes we have other elements of liturgy in there. And we'll talk about this later, but think about what we did last week with consistory installation. We hear the word of God on our lives and we respond by committing ourselves to the, to, the, to the service of God in God's church. So out of love, we do our work, our liturgy, on behalf of the world. And then finally, we are sent. Having done our work, we cannot stay here. We are not called to a cloistered community. There are those who are, it just doesn't happen to be us. But we are called to go out and to serve the people. We are sent to public service. But we do so having been changed. We do so having been forgiven. We do so having heard the greatest story ever told. And we send each other off with a song and a benediction. Benediction means good word. Don't forget this as you go about your lives. We are sent into the world and worship carries out of this place to whatever place we go. And this is how the kingdom of God expands and has no boundaries and no borders. Because wherever you go, there the kingdom of God goes as well. So friends, this flyover of liturgy, and we'll dive in over the next couple weeks, reminds us where we started, that it is God's will that we should learn to love God more. But we'll never worship well. We'll never live out the promises and hope and wonder of our faith unless we believe we are loved first. Why in the world would I come to worship a God who I'm not sure if that God cares about me? But God does care about you. And God has invited you. And God has said, it's not just song I want to hear. It is your song. It is not just prayer I want to hear. It is your prayer. I I love you. I want to show you that love. And I want to show you what it's like to live in the way of Jesus Christ. And so the issue, friends, when it comes to worship and how we think about it, isn't if we have good worship or not. Liturgy is neither living nor dead. It is the worshiper who is living or dead. All the bands and screens and smoke machines in the world, all the incense and chanting and sacred hymnody cannot waken a dull heart, not more than for an hour or so. So it doesn't really matter how we structure our liturgy if we don't really care about meeting with God first. But God's love which is more than we can ask or imagine, can wake us to the beauty and, yes, the pain of the world, and it can awaken in us the deepest longings of our heart. And God loves you more than you know and sees more for you than you see for yourself. And if that touches you even a little bit, the liturgy we offer will then be filled to the brim and overflowing with life and beauty, no matter how we structure worship. But before we ever utter a word of liturgy, may our prayer simply be, Lord, I want to love you more, and may that come out in every word we pray, every word we sing, and every silence we hold. Amen.